There's a lot of societal problems out there that require unique and out-of-the-box solutions. And choosing what form those solutions take is an interesting and foundational question. Do you address the problem by starting a nonprofit, a social enterprise, a neighborhood group, or attracting public sector attention? Today's guest is familiar with that challenge as a serial social entrepreneur, developing innovative solutions to a major problem in New York City, bringing clean and accessible transportation to underserved communities. Join us to hear Susani's impact journey tackling an issue relevant to his family and life. And one with interesting implications in all cities. Welcome to the Be Social Change podcast, your go-to resource for weekly personal professional development to help you build a successful social impact career. I'm Marco Salazar. And I'm Jen Lashansky, and we're the team behind Be Social Change. Over the past decade, we've helped tens of thousands of professionals and entrepreneurs grow their social impact careers, and we're excited to help you do the same. In the podcast, you'll learn new skills and strategies from inspiring social impact leaders who have built careers at socially conscious companies, innovative nonprofits, and within government. We're so happy you found this podcast and look forward to helping you build a meaningful, fulfilling, and successful social impact career. Let's get into it. Susani, the founder and CEO of Dollar Ride, saw a problem his family kept encountering and sought out the solutions to impact the issue. Yes. Transportation deserts are those spots in cities and metropolitan areas where people are not able to access public transportation in reliable, convenient ways. In New York, a longtime solution to transportation deserts, which was dollar vans, was undersupported, and Sue took action to address that. In today's episode, we'll learn more about Sue's work and also chat with him about his insights, experiences, and examples of entrepreneurship. This is a great conversation for social impact explorers, founders, and everyone interested in talking about life-work balance in the social entrepreneurship space. Let's go. Hey, Sue, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Marcos. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to have you. Yeah, and I'm super excited to talk with you today just because we've known each other for a while, like probably over a decade, really in the early parts of the growth of the social impact sector in New York City, the entrepreneurial sector in New York City. And it's been fun to see and watch your journey to eventually create an awesome startup called Dollaride. So we'd love to just start there. And can you share a little bit about the social impact work you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Dollaride is a mobility company that currently electrifies and modernizes commuter van service. And I started this business and co-founded it with a good friend of mine and Chris Coles because I had a unique experience growing up in New York City where I lived in transit deserts, particularly in Brooklyn and in Queens. And as a result, I had to rely on this like shadow network of drivers and vehicles called dollar vans. Meanwhile, I also discovered that I had two family members, my two uncles, who were dollar van drivers back in the 80s. And more recently, they've become fleet owners. So they really like progressed as drivers into now becoming business owners. So I had this like very fascinating but insightful experience as a passenger as well as a entrepreneur that gave me courage to start a business that could really modernize the industry and bring it into the 21st century. So, you know, here we are today. That is incredible. And I think for some people too, they think of New York City and they think big transportation system and they don't realize that there are transit deserts and they don't realize that there's a major equity issue in the way that our subway maps are designed and so forth. Can you share a little bit more about 
how your work impacts that or how mobility and specifically updating fleets is helping address the transit deserts. Sure. And Jen, you actually framed it perfectly. In New York City, as well as in just about every major city around the country, we have this phenomenon where the epicenter of our our cities become more expensive to live. Every day, working class people are being pushed out to the outskirts of the cities, yet their jobs are in the quote unquote downtown areas. So as a result, it's harder and harder to rely on public transit and its infrastructure to get to work or to get to school or to get to the hospital. So luckily in New York, dollar vans play that role of bridging these transit gaps. But unfortunately in other cities, they don't necessarily have dollar vans or as robust of an ecosystem. So people all around the country are struggling with longer commute times or needing to buy a car in order to just manage their work lives and get around. And for folks who are you know, barely scraping by, this can become an expensive endeavor, just getting to work every day. Transit equity was not a term that I knew when I was 16 years old, trying to get to school every day, but now it's actually the center of our work. It's something that I think about every single day. Yeah. And I think as an entrepreneur, one of the skills that you end up having is pattern recognition and recognizing there's an opportunity as well as like a gap there. And thanks for sharing and giving some context of what this is like in New York City, but challenges around the country. And how did you end up deciding like, okay, there's an organic existing solution to a certain extent for this problem, but how did you think about, okay, there's something that I can do here to make it more efficient or more better or serve these people in a better way? The way I started figuring this out and and really getting confidence that I could build a solution that was better was first by talking to and engaging with my uncles. I was lucky in that I had family that were directly involved in the industry. So my uncles gave me exposure to their actual unit economics and the operations of their businesses. And then eventually I got them to introduce me to their competitors or comrades, however you want to call it, just folks in the industry who also helped educate me and gave me exposure to broader challenges that the industry had. So in short, I had like a theory, but I needed to match that theory of change to the reality of what people were dealing with. So that revolved around talking to drivers, interviewing passengers, and then even going to like academia. I spent time um, doing research reports with NYU and even with the DOT to better understand how are the stakeholders in New York City perceiving this transit desert issue and also perceiving the impact that dollar vans could have. So all that stuff just like informed my theory of change. And after that theory became more and more tangible, I think I I had the confidence to say, all right, you know what? I think I have an idea of a solution that leverages what's already there, i.e. the dollar van ecosystem, but maybe could leverage or include software and technology and other resources to really expand this business and industry so that it impacts more people. Yeah. And that customer development or research is such an integral part of not just building a business, but literally building any initiative. So if even if you're within an organization and you want to start a new project or product or new initiative, you have to do that research because you don't want to 
assume that you know better than your customer and build a solution that they don't actually need or doesn't necessarily solve. So really doing that foundational research and really getting a deep understanding of the challenges that people are facing is, is so integral. So you have this idea, then what are the next steps? What do you end up doing to then turn that idea that you validated into reality? Because it's such a big thing that you're doing. And where do you start? This is a great question. And, you know, and I'll actually double back a little bit to my last comment. First and foremost, the research that I did actually took place over like a two to three year period. I don't necessarily say or necessarily think that everyone has to spend that much time researching or gaining the exposure and experience that they need. But for me, I was in, a, in an interesting spot in my life where I could only do this on nights and weekends. I had another job, but also the transportation space is very, it's highly regulated. You're dealing with people's lives and physical assets. So I couldn't necessarily move as quickly as you might typically move if you're only building software or dealing with a service that is completely virtual. So it, it really took a long time to validate the challenges and the potential solutions and ideas that we thought could be a true game changer. But specifically, realizing that we had a very big idea that has to do with transit equity and maybe even economic mobility because our, our focus is on the drivers and the fleet owners, right? So we want to make sure they make money as we implement change. I realized that I needed to reduce our idea down to the atomic level of change or demonstration. So like, in other words, I needed like a prototype or a pilot that was small enough in scale where we could learn, but not too large that it would become beyond our resources and beyond our ability to really maneuver. So what that looked like was I actually hired my uncles and their drivers to like run tests and experiments with us where we would create a pop-up dollar van route and try to pick up new passengers and educate people on this service who were in neighborhoods that never had dollar vans before. And that progressed onto more and more tests and experiments. But all this stuff were done, again, like at a very small scale. And that essentially gave us more and more validation that we can build this into a bigger company. As you're describing your process of growing this business, it seems like it's very similar almost to like the lean startup model, which is like you did your research, you did your customer development, you did a, a prototype, a minimal viable product. And then it sounds like now you're really, you found the solutions that are most impactful. What would you say the solutions are that make the biggest difference in the lives of drivers and in the economic mobility you're searching for? When you talk to drivers, especially commuter van drivers or even fleet owners who are running like private passenger-based transportation businesses, everyone complains about the high cost of insurance being something that really squeezes their margins and makes it difficult for them to operate, uh, especially legally and in compliance. So that was something that we were hearing from the customers and hearing from our market, but we didn't have a direct solution to that. But that was something that we had to return to later on when we figured out there was a potential solution. But indeed, insurance is a big issue and there, there's something there that can really resolve or have a trickle-down effect, impact on the entire ecosystem of private transportation fleets. Another solution and concept is literally just getting these mom and pop businesses off of pen and paper 
and into digital software that automatically tracks their locations and collects data that they can use to optimize their businesses. This is one of the first things that I noticed when really going underneath the hood of my uncle's businesses, as well as their competitors, none of them really use the types of tools that a you know larger, maybe more professional transportation company would, like fleet management software or GPS tracking for all vehicles. So that was something that I thought, if we can apply this level of technology to every company or every driver who has a van, then it'll be easier to deliver a more dynamic service. It'll be easier for the driver and fleet owners to notice where are they wasting time and where there are other opportunities to generate more income because they just have better visibility into the operations of their business. And then lastly, it's kind of hard to say this because I know some of my customers don't necessarily disagree with this, but frankly, I think the pricing model for how folks operate could also be altered so that they make more money, albeit they might have to end up raising prices on individual riders or their customers. Long story short, when you really pay attention to the unit economics of these small private fleets, you can see that they oftentimes don't charge enough per ride or they're not involved in long-term contractual relationships where they can have a steady, high-margin income flow. So these types of insights, I think, suggest that they could do business differently that would be better for them and even more sustainable for the entire ecosystem. And that's essentially where Dollaride comes into play and why we focus on the particular solutions that we're trying to bring to the market. Yeah. And getting back again to that customer development, that researching, engaging with your customer, sometimes people, entrepreneurs, or even people that are creating a new initiative get fall in love with their idea. And then they keep following that idea versus trying to continue to validate it. And you could be under the assumption that there just needs to be more cars on the road to help service these people in these deserts right. versus like insurance, which is a very unsexy thing, but it's so integral as well as updating people on basic tech. And just like you said, and then the pricing model and really spending time and not rushing that customer development. So you're really, really addressing the challenges that your customers may have. So how did that customer development really then inform the model for ride? Yeah. What you said was actually really key because I think the, um, almost elephant in the room or, or what's implied here is that you might have a, an initial idea, but that idea can change. And in fact, it should change as you get more validation from customers or as you get better data and information about the market that you're in. That is exactly what has happened to me and what has happened at Dollaride as we've evolved over the last four years. Our original idea was really like a, it was basically like trying to Uberize for lack of a better term, the local dollar van industry. And that was simply ensuring that a driver and a rider had mobile apps and implementing some sort of like pricing scheme and visibility. But frankly, that concept didn't work when we tried it initially. So we've gone through iterations of our business model and our concept to land on where we are today, which is essentially more of a B2B service where our customer is the driver or the fleet owner, and they are using our software and other services that we provide 
to become and deliver a better product to their customers, which are riders, or sometimes it could be, you know, maybe a local business that's hiring them for a transportation service. That was a shift that I didn't really expect or, or knew would happen when I started the company four years ago. But yeah, fundamentally today, what Dollaride does, and, and I think what we're going to continue doing is providing a platform to commuter van drivers and fleet owners that helps them get access to new customers, modernize their operations. And more recently, we, we won this huge government grant and contract to also help drivers get access to electric vehicles and modernize their fleets. We're almost like a services company that uses and leverages technology for the betterment of a specific customer base called dollar vans or commuter van drivers. Amazing. And first, congrats. I know that it's hard as, as an entrepreneur to come up with an idea, validate it, and then eventually get funding for it so that you can grow, which is amazing. And would love to hear a little bit about, so obviously this podcast is really about supporting people that want to build social impact careers and developing the skills. And within those careers, I see entrepreneurship as a viable career path, although it's got its own challenges. What was your path and what's been your experience of building a career as an entrepreneur? And can I actually just, I'm going to piggyback on that question for a moment and also sure. ask too, it takes a lot of patience to be working a full-time job, doing something full-time and developing something on the side. What is it that has driven you through your entrepreneurial career? to sustain an idea and do the research for two to three years and then do the customer development. There's so many components that people don't realize go into entrepreneurship. How have you remained uh, driven and motivated through it? Excellent question, Jen. I got to say, Marcos, I'm excited about Jen's question more than yours. Let's do it up. Let's start that one. Let's start I'm that start one first. Hers. No, in all seriousness, what gave me the drive to go through this somewhat long process was one, I had a personal connection and affinity to the problem because I lived the problem before. Like I said earlier, I had lived in transit deserts. I had one and a half to two hour commutes just to go to school and just to get to work. Mm. So that visceral reaction to this issue really kept me energized and motivated, even though I couldn't work on it full time when I originally had the idea. But the other motivation here was that, or not motivation, I'd say maybe incentive was that because I had a full-time job, I had a steady wage that allowed me to be patient, right? So this is like the unfortunate, but maybe perhaps beneficial truth about, you know, doing things on nights and weekends. You know, I was using my, my full-time day job as the fuel to explore this entrepreneurial path with Dollar Ride in a more patient way. For those who are listening, and kind of griping about their full-time job and want to like kick that to the side and start the new company ASAP, you might want to think about it because that, that steady income that you're getting with, with your full-time job, it allows you the breathing room to be a little bit more strategic, albeit you might have longer days, but it's a way different ball game when you're only relying on the new venture to pay your bills. And that can be really stressful and risky since Oftentimes you won't make any money during that first year or two. So I benefited from that whole aspect of my life back in the four or five years ago. And then Marcos, I think your original question was no, about. I mean, entrepreneurship as a career, because this is not your first startup. And I know right. that you've had a mix of both working full time as well as like being an entrepreneur. And what 
just how did you end up deciding on that path of entrepreneurship and what was that like even from the beginning? Originally, I started on this path of entrepreneurship, I can say, I think first because I personally wanted a life and lifestyle where I was the boss and I had more control over my time. I think like many people, that was like the initial attraction to this idea of building a company and starting it. It just seems like it was more freeing than being under so many different layers of management at a bank, which is what one of my first jobs was. So that intrigued me about entrepreneurship. And then I think subsequently, as I got ideas that I felt passionate about, you know, just the day-to-day -day of building something and solving problems and having your days be so different because you are wearing so many different hats and you're learning as well as implementing solutions, the dynamics of building a company was just so fulfilling for me that it perpetuated itself. It was like a snowball effect. As I got a taste of it, writing a business plan that led to the next thing and then on and on. So I guess the idea inspired me, but from being a doer and like just taking small steps, that really led me to getting the courage to eventually quit my day job and then go full time on building my first company, which, which really helped and also led to eventually winning a business plan competition and things that brought in income to further fuel this fire that I had in my belly. Long story short, everything was incremental, albeit I'm thinking about this stuff and obsessing over it, you know, for a long periods of time. I think as you're describing the benefits that you saw from entrepreneurship, super relatable. I think they're what probably drive Marcos in me as well. And I'm curious too, do you feel like now having had the experience of being your own boss and getting to have that lifestyle and getting to choose a little bit more, do you find that entrepreneurship is as you were hoping it would be, or are there trade-offs that you weren't anticipating? That's a great question. It's definitely met and exceeded my expectations on how fulfilling it could be, your ability to control your schedule and, and really like self-actualize or come into your truest potential. I don't think I would be as confident in myself as well as effective as a professional if I didn't become an entrepreneur and had some successes along the way. In fact, I'd say even the, the failures also have contributed to my like maturation as a professional. But at the same time, I definitely underestimated how difficult it could be. And I'd say the, the challenges of trying to manage your personal life and i.e. starting a family, getting married, having children, raising a family, even being a good friend to your network of friends, all of those things get really squeezed when your, your baby is your business, right? So that's something that I couldn't have really foreseen. And that's something that I've had to learn to deal with and balance as best as I could by just doing it. So those are the trade-offs that tend to happen that you really can't predict. Yeah. And as an extension of that, would love to hear, because it's something that I've been reflecting on, thinking about starting my first business like 10, 12, 15 years ago, and then starting businesses now or new startups now. When I was younger, I could crank out work 16 hours a day as a single yep. person, wake up 
fully just do this and it's all adrenaline. And I think my first few years of entrepreneurship were that, whereas now my energy is different, where I want to devote my energy is different to my wife, to eventually starting a family, et cetera. And how has that changed from you being early Sue entrepreneur to like now Sue entrepreneur? This is a fun question. I, I want to first start by sharing. This is how obsessed and crazy I was when I was younger and how that energy and like perspective changes. I remember during the We Did It days, We Did It was, I guess, the first tech company I started a little bit over 10 years ago. And Marcos, you, you're familiar. Yeah. We were part of the Be Social Change community back then. And I remember I thought it would be a good idea and even fun. I honestly thought this would be fun if my co-founders and I did a sleepover at the office where we could work maybe 16 hours in a day over the weekend for three days in a row, like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we would sleep at the office and just work the large majority of the, of the day for three days in a row so that we can get way ahead of schedule on some of the things that we wanted to do. I pitched that to them as if this would be a good idea and fun <laughs> and like productive at the same time. And I was so willing to do that. Now that is not a healthy thing to do. It's not necessarily fun. And it's, I'm not, I'm not personally interested in doing stuff like that today. So, you know, needless to say, my perspective has changed. Mm -hmm. Now that I have two kids, I have a wife, beautiful family, and I, I want to spend as much time with them. What's really changed is how I think about and really try to optimize my time. So I'm way more apt to first identify can I actually accomplish my goal within the set number of minutes or hours or days that I have to reach this goal? I always immediately do an assessment as opposed to just hopping into things. And then after the assessment, I next think, who else can I hire, direct, delegate to, to get this done? Because I'm not necessarily the best person to do this, right? So it's just a shift in being resourceful that I've had that I think is a reflection of being truly aware of how limited time is and my energy and my focus is now that I'm sharing those things with my family, which also deserves that time, energy, and focus. Yeah. And that awareness piece on multiple levels, right? What you're saying in terms of time, but there's like a level of self-awareness as well, both in combination, like I can't work those 16 hours, three times a day anymore, nor do I want to. And you have that perspective of how to work smarter. But I think there's an awareness piece of you recognizing where you can be best at in terms of focusing your time. What's my zone of genius? Correct. How can I contribute to the organization best? And then how do I focus my time and then build a team or resources around the other things that should be done in the business? And I don't think you get that until you've had those experiences until you've failed, until you've learned and grown as a person and then applying that to future endeavors. Precisely, precisely. And I'd say now I'm so much more appreciative and grateful to build a team because without the team, I couldn't actually accomplish these goals, especially now knowing that I'm not able to do 16 plus hour days anymore. And I want a sustainable business and a sustainable lifestyle at the same time. Yeah. This doesn't mean that I'm not willing to work hard. I definitely think I'm working hard and I think people around me would also say the same, but working smart is probably a better way to describe my whole operation now. I so hear that. 
And so much of what you've said and just actually your sharing of your story gives people great direction and ideas for skills and strengths that they can develop and grow as an entrepreneur. And I'm wondering if you have any other insights or advice that you'd suggest to people who are who have an idea that they're really passionate about, they want to do something with it, but they're not sure whether or not they should. Do you have any advice or insights that you'd recommend for first-time entrepreneurs? I do. So I think first on the skills thing, I believe that there are at least three skills that would serve you well as an entrepreneur or early CEO. I'm not exactly sure how do you deliberately gain those skills. Maybe we can talk about that. I've found that learning how to be resourceful is applicable to every business and every endeavor. Secondly, learning how to communicate really well in written communication, verbal communication, and via presentation is super helpful and, and, and maybe even integral, especially when you want to build a team or convince customers or investors or whomever. And then the third thing is, I'm not sure if this is a skill or not, but it's, it has to do with being adaptable or malleable to to changes into the market. I've definitely worked with folks who are rigid and just resistant to change. And it makes it hard to pivot when you need to, when you can't really see the forest from the trees or absorb feedback and learn from your mistakes. But you wanna be able to do those things and you wanna exercise those skills as early and often because that's how you can actually iterate on your idea and effectively come to a solution that truly works and can, can help you build a better business. Fortunately, I learned a lot of these things by playing sports. I was a, a big athlete ever since I was like 10 years old. I was always on basketball teams, football teams, track and field, and I was a competitive person. So these types of concepts were ingrained in me through training. But I think I've met people who learn these types of things and have adopted them, like through playing chess or picking up other games and hobbies where they have to build a team with people or make trade-offs and run cost-benefit analysis in their decision-making. So there's probably ways you can gain these types of skills and perspective, even outside of a professional setting. But indeed, these types of things are really helpful in, in being a good entrepreneur, as well as being an effective CEO. Absolutely. And I think you're pointing out a couple of things. I do think that you can learn them over time and in different contexts or situations. But I think one of the key ingredients is recognizing within yourself the type of worker you are. And there's that yep. self-awareness because you can think you want to be an entrepreneur and you think there's this glory and it's exciting and et cetera, et cetera. But you might be a better number two, someone that works in the background and really supports a person who knows how to adapt and recognize patterns, et cetera. And you're more effective there. And it's really a self-awareness piece. It's not to say that you can't be resourceful or be adaptable and have to communicate effectively, but it might be in a different context versus the starting of something. And it's not to say you might start a side business, but when you're wanting to build a company like you're doing, that's a different skill set of leading the organization versus being a number two or number three or someone that's more operations versus vision oriented and driving vision. So that self-awareness piece is really key, but you don't know it until you taste it until you touch it, until you experience it. It's just like if you're a basketball player, you're not sure if you're the Michael Jordan versus a Scottie Pippen. I, I really want to share something about that because that resonates with me so much. In my last business, we did it. I had two co-founders. One was an engineer, software engineer. The other one was 
a, basically like a salesperson and visionary. That was Ben. You might remember oh, yeah, yeah, Marcos. Ben is one of my best friends. To this day, I still look up to this man for so many different reasons. He's just a great salesperson, presenter, public speaker, great partner too. He's very hardworking. He has all the great attributes. And the funny thing is that back then, I was the CEO, but Ben, I thought, really had the vision for our product and where the company needed to go. And I deferred to him a lot for a lot of those things, whereas people might have expected the CEO to be like the one pitching the company and really selling the idea, especially to investors and partners and to customers. But because Ben was so strong at those things, I became like the operationally focused CEO. And I really prided myself on organizing Ben's ideas and determining how do we turn these things into action. Now, 10 years later, in this new business, Dollaride, where I have a lot of industry contacts and experience, lived experience and perspective on transportation, because I've lived it and all that. And also I'm more mature with my ability to communicate and pitch and all that. Now I'm more of like the forward facing CEO, pitching and recruiting and raising capital. And I have a number two, who's a lot more operationally focused and we really complement each other. So it's funny how like my skill set and even my role has flipped as the needs of the company has changed in these two different ventures and it's required something different of me. So I think this is like a testament to what you're saying, Marcos, where you have to assess what can you bring to the table? And then more importantly, who around you can actually supplement or complement your skill set. And I've seen that in both of these ventures that I've run over the last 10 years. Also, Sue, you're speaking so beautifully about like finding the right partners, finding the complementary co-founders, the people who you can jump off a diving board with, and that each one of you is going to help each other make a big, make the splash that you want to. So Precisely. Makes me feel grateful for Marcos and also so grateful to you for sharing your insights, your time, just your story and the work that you do. It's really incredible to learn more about. And if people wanted to learn more about Dollaride or connect with you, are there ways that they can reach you online? Absolutely. On Twitter, Instagram, all the social channels, at Dollaride or slash Dollaride is where you can find the company. And similarly, I am at the Susani, T-H-E-S-U-S-A-N-N-I on all platforms. Feel free to reach out, shoot us a message. We'd be happy to chat, share about what we're doing, and even collaborate if there's a good opportunity. So thank you both for welcoming me on the show and on the podcast. Let me know what's next. Thanks so much, Sue. It's so great to catch up and congrats on all the success. And we will be in touch soon. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Marcos. We love talking to Sue about his work. He's someone that is so dedicated to social impact work and also growing with the work he's leading. Some of the topics he touches upon, including like the humility to tackle the less sexy social impact areas is so important to be reminded of regularly. I love this conversation and I'm psyched for people to hear this one and our chat next week too. Stay tuned, you all. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
If you liked the episode, help us grow the impact of this podcast by taking a quick second to leave us a five-star rating and review telling us what you liked. And please share the podcast with anyone you think could benefit from this type of career and business advice. Word of mouth is the number one way we can grow the podcast and the impact we have on people's careers. And don't forget to visit besocialchange.com for free social impact career resources through our newsletter. See you next week.